Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website, scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Today, we are resuming our study in the book of Romans. And uh, it's, been a, it's been one of those challenging studies. Um, you know, doctrinally. Uh, one of the doctrines that we've been forced to talk about a lot because Paul over and over and over clearly says this is what he believes is the doctrine of election. This idea that God chose you, not the other way around. Of course, it's not only Paul who talks about this. It's, it's clear throughout the scriptures. We've mentioned before how even Jesus himself said, you know, you can't come to me unless the Father draws you. Paul talks about how God chose you from the foundations of the earth before you were ever born. I got a couple of quotes from Charles Spurgeon I want to share with you today, but I'm going to start with one of them, and I'll do the other one here in a little bit. Here's what he says as it relates to that do specific doctrine. He says, I believe the doctrine of election because I am quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I should have never chosen him. And I am sure he chose me before I was born, or else he would have chosen he would never have chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I could never find in myself why he should have looked upon me with special love. So I'm forced to accept that great biblical doctrine. Now, one of the questions that's come up a lot as we've had to wrestle with this doctrine throughout this study is, well, how do I know then that I am chosen? And I think that answer is a lot simpler uh, than you might think. And the good news is, is Paul, I think, makes that makes it very clear. The, the answer to that question is very clear here in chapter 10, Romans 10. Um, I will throw in one personal thought on that, but then we'll let the scriptures really define it. Uh, but it is my opinion that those who are not the children of God are not concerned about whether or not they're the children of God. Right? Those who are not truly the children of God, it's not an important matter to them. They don't examine their faith daily to see if, or examine themselves daily to see if they're in the faith, as the Apostle Paul says. They're not wrestling with that at all. It's not a concern of theirs. You know, it's. I feel like often the sheep are constantly wonder, are constantly, not constantly, but the sheep actually are concerned about the shepherd and whether or not they're in right relationship with the shepherd and the goats could care less. The goats just automatically think because they exist, they have a they think that they're special and that of course they're the children of God. So the very concern itself in my opinion is a proof. However, there's a clear answer and so, we're going to get into that as we read chapter 10 today. Just to set the stage, chapter 9 ended with 
Paul, you know, let me just read the last two verses of chapter 9. He says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. He's making the point, look, the Gentiles are coming to salvation through the only method there's ever been for salvation, which is faith. And Israel is trying to earn it through works, when really they need to trust the Messiah. And we know throughout all of Paul's writings, he's deeply grieved by this reality. Right, we just read last week, Paul was saying, I would give up my own salvation for the sake of my brethren, my fellow Jews, my fellow Israelites. So with that backdrop, we'll start chapter 10. Here's what he says. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Who's he talking about? He's talking about his kinsmen, the Jews, the Israelites. For I testify, testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or... Who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess... Okay, real quick. What's Paul doing? He's, he, he's trying to establish the very clearly that you're... He's not saying obeying the law is bad and don't bother. What he's saying is specifically about salvation. If you to be saved requires faith. And now he's going to answer your people ask, "Well, how do I know if I'm one of God's children? How do I know if I've been chosen?" It's very clear. Here we go. Here's the answer. Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scriptures say, 
Whosoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So just simply ask yourself, do you believe? Did, have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? And do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? <laughs> All who call upon him will be saved. All who truly believe that will be saved. Now, if you're just playing Christianity, you're going to church and you're just trying to satisfy, uh, you know, what granny wants you to do. But at the end of the day, you're like, eh, I'm not really sure if this is all true. Okay, well, you're probably not. But if you believe this, then you will be saved. And again, like I said, um, <laughs> non-believers, goats aren't even worried about it. Only, the, only a child of God would actually be concerned about his relationship with God. Continuing on, we're almost done. It's not very long today. Paul's going to answer one more question for us. So if election be true, as Paul's been laying down that foundation, then why bother preaching the gospel, right? That's what some arguments might be like. Why preach it? I mean, if, if the people of God has chosen them, why does it matter? Like, they're going to be saved because God has chosen them from the foundations of the earth. And who can resist the will of God, right? Like Paul says. Will the clay say to the potter, why would you make me this way? Here's where the other... First of all, Paul's going to answer that question. And then I'm going to give you one more quote from Charles Spurgeon here. Here's what Paul says, starting with verse 14. How then will they call on... So he just got done saying, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you believe that Christ... Um, if you confess that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Okay? He asks another question here. Verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Did you hear that? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as, just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So Paul's saying, you got to call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. And he says, but how can they do that? Like, how can someone believe and call if they haven't, if no one's preaching the gospel to them, if nobody's bringing the good news to them? You see, regardless of your view of this or how you feel about what we've been talking about as it relates to the doctrine of election, God has clearly involved man his creation in this process and Jesus demonstrated how that process worked when he commissioned his disciples and sent them out 
to preach the good news, right? For whatever reason, God has chosen us to participate in this. So you may have a neighbor down the street. And maybe God has chosen that person from the beginning of time to be saved. And maybe you're the one that God has predestined a good work for you to be the one that brings that message to him so that you would participate in what God is doing because he involves his children in whatever he's doing. Here's the quote from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon says, If God would have painted a yellow stripe on the backs of the elect, I would go around lifting shirts. But since he didn't, I must preach whosoever will. And when whosoever believes, I know he is one of the elect. So Spurgeon is saying, God didn't clearly mark these people so that I can visibly see who they are. So and so I must go preach the gospel. And then when they believe, then I know they're one of the elect because they believed. And because, so... This is not a new concept. I mean, the writings of Spurgeon go way back. Long before us. But more importantly, the writings of the Apostle Paul go way back. Now, I'm not one of those people personally who believes that. I believe in the sovereignty of God. But not that he is ordaining every single aspect of everything. Meaning... I don't believe that God decided how much coffee I would or would not have this morning. I think that's ridiculous. And here's what happens. You get some people, and Paul addressed this already in, one, in the previous chapters, where he said, where people will act like it is God who makes me sin, right? Because he's sovereign over everything, so... This sin that I'm indulging in, well, it must be God-ordained. You know, it's just a trial or, <laughs> you know, we make all these excuses. I don't go down that slippery slope that you see some Calvinist go down. I'm specifically talking about salvation alone. I am not taking away that man has free will to make decisions good or bad. However, the scriptures are clear that without the Holy Spirit, you're unable to choose good, right? So there is, So I do believe in the sovereignty of God, but I think of the sovereignty of God, and I think of God as a master chess player, meaning that he has a plan, he has a will that will come to pass, and no one can resist it. And he's the master chess player, and he will bring his will about regardless, in spite of us, right? So re even though I might make a move, he's the master chess player, he, either way, I'm going to be forced onto the right path that he wants me to go on as his child, right? That doesn't mean I'm not going to make some really bad decisions and have to have consequences and things like that, but at the end of it all, I'm going to be where God wants me to be. That's my view of God's sovereignty. When it relates to salvation, I think the scriptures are clear, and they have been clear as we've been studying the book of Romans, that he 
chose me. I didn't choose him. And I agree with that quote from Charles Spurgeon. If he had not chosen me, I certainly wouldn't have chosen him. And if he didn't choose me before I was born, he would have definitely never chosen me afterwards, you know, because I know what kind of person I was as a young adult. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I never could find in myself why he should have looked upon me with a special love. Right? So that's kind of how my view is. You know, there's always going to be people who take things to the extreme. Right? So you're going to have Calvinists, and then they go to the, to the extreme, to the point where God decided I would, what time I would wake up to the second, how much coffee I would drink this morning, what I was going to eat for breakfast, every word that was going to come out of my mouth. Like, to me, that's when we get into ridiculousness. That's certainly how many are. Okay, I think I've beaten this topic to death. You know where I stand, and look, you you may disagree, and I'm not down on you for that, okay? I'm just telling you what I think Romans has been teaching us up to this point. And so, you know, what I care about at the end of the day is not whether you believe in free will salvation or or the doctrine of election, what I care about is simply this. Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? All I care about is that you are saved, not whether or not you have the exact same view of of me of how that process works exactly. Meaning, do you make a decision to believe and or did God choose you to believe? I think they're important doctrines and, and they're interesting to study and interesting to discuss. But at the end of the day, it's just about do you believe? Do you believe that Christ died for your sins and that God rose him on the third day? Like, do you believe these critical doctrines for salvation? These other things are important and they're interesting to talk about, but we don't have to have animosity towards one another over them. Okay, let's bring this chapter to a close. Too much rambling this morning. Verse 16. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Please note, Paul's still making that point that, hey, for people to come to faith, they have to hear the gospel. And God has involved his children in that process. You go out and preach the good news. Verse 18, but I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. And then he quotes some scripture. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words into the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and he says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. He's talking about the Gentiles. Last verse 21. But as for Israel, he says, 
All the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. And that is the end of Romans chapter 10. However, Romans chapter 11, he will talk about how even though he's been down on Israel right now, right? Saying you guys refuse to believe. This is why the message went to the Gentiles and they did believe. He's going to talk about in chapter 11 how Israel is not cast away, right? And so we're going to look into that next week. That's all I have for you this morning. You know, this topic that we've been discussing is one of the reasons why I've delayed so long in talking about or studying the book of Romans because I kind of had to get a foundation of what I believed about these things before I could ever bring forth the study. And I wanted to be able to clearly communicate what I thought without discouraging or making others feel, you know, like they have to accept my view of this doctrine. So I hope I've done that. And I pray that you've been blessed and strengthened. And if you're one of those people saying, how do I know if I'm chosen? Well, it's simple. It's simple. Have you believed? Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? These are the things that matter. And I'll just say one more time, if you're even concerned about your relationship with God, that's a good sign. Because non-believers are not concerned about whether or not they're right with God. They'll either assume they are and not give it a second thought, or they just don't even think about it at all. So if it's something that you're concerned about, that's a great sign. All right. I'm sure I'll have some comments and messages coming my way this week after this morning's study, and that's fine. It's part of the journey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for praying, and thank you for your support. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.